0: You know, I like Tim's uh, comments and in, uh, introduction part. I thought he was going to preach my message next Sunday there for a while. And uh, but I, Dave, I just want to extend my uh, appreciation for you. Uh, I have opportunities to speak in numerous uh, places and I often and the one people behind the sound and, and projection fear me because I come with PowerPoint and I ask you to follow me. I'm not running it. He's running it from my notes. And you know how well I stay with my notes. Uh, Dave, you're phenomenal and uh, such a gracious spirit. And uh, I really I like your teamwork. Can you travel with me? When I, no, I, I don't think the church will let you go. So you're OK. Well, we're looking at uh, uh, just a few verses here this morning, uh, and it'll probably be the longest message I have, I don't know how that goes. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 is what we're looking at, and the primary focus, uh, it's, it's almost like an insert into uh, in chapter 4 in, in the dialogue of the, that Paul's in his writing to the Colossians, but he highlights the attention and the necessity of of being people that are devoted to pray, to praying. Be devoted to prayer, and um, so I want to spend a little time with you this morning about uh, how does that impact how I grow in my relationship with the Lord, um, how that impacts uh, the trans transformation that happens in the new life that we all have in Christ, and um, what does that mean uh, in in the how we pray, how that impacts how we live our life in a world that doesn't know him. And how do we be salt and light in that context? And what is the role and place of prayer in that? That's kind of where I'm headed with you this morning. But in Colossians chapter four, verse two, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And um, that's going to be a, a part of this. I, 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 what I'm going to bring to you here just initially is my personal perspective that's been helpful to me in prayer. It's not the only answer, the only way, but I'm, I'm thinking some of the thoughts that I may have for you may be helpful to you personally. Um, I think the first thing is the critical thing in my perspective is that you understand that prayer is not a ceremony. Prayer is a personal conversation with God. There's no formality in that. There's a heart posture in it. But there's no formality in prayer. We come to prayer meetings, and we pray there. If, in our prayer there, that's conversation with God. Or did we come to a meeting? You see, there's a difference in how, what our posture of our mind is in coming to God. If I understand being devoted to prayer, praying means I'm in the presence of God and having conversation with him. And I call it conversation because I think we miss half of prayer life. Uh, we're about telling God about everything that's on our hearts and all the things we want from him. And what's strange to me is when I understand the nature of God, he already knows what's in my mind. He knows what's in my life. He knows the intentions of my heart that I'm even, not even aware of sometimes. So why am I even telling him all this stuff? Other than he invites me to. In opening my heart and life to God in conversation with him, focuses my attention on his person and his ability and his grace and his mercy that produces change in my heart and life as I live in whatever context I'm in. And I also discover that God is also takes great pleasure in doing the things that we ask that honor him. And so I come with this, first of all, to understand, to devote devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to making an appointment to spend some time with your friend God. Have conversation. Tell him what's going on in your life. Ask what's on his heart, what he's doing. And that means not only are you talking to him, but you're listening to him. It's a conversation. That's prayer. That's Ed's perspective, and I think you can find all that in Scripture. I've worked pretty hard through this. I just want you just to understand you have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe who created everything, including you. And has authority over everything in the heavens and on earth. And he says, come. So I see prayer is uh, it's conscious thought. I don't even have to open my mouth. I can pray. I can think because God knows my mind. I can quietly sit and I can say, Now, I know you didn't hear what I just prayed, but I just prayed. You're saying it's I can think and God knows and hears. And I also discover that when I take the time to be quiet, that I also hear. I hear scripture. There's sometimes I hear other things. And that makes me stop and say, I don't think so. Because I know there's more than one voice out there. First John tells us that uh, we're to test the spirits to see if they're from God. You know, what is the voice I hear? Does it profess that Jesus has come in the flesh, that Jesus is the son of God? Does it profess authority in the scripture? Is it consistent with what I know in the scripture? But I find when I take time just to be quiet, God reminds me of things that he's taught me in the past, things that I've read in the scripture, things that I've heard. And he reminds me. But I'm so consumed in myself most of the time that I'm all about telling him what I want to tell him. And sometimes it isn't very polite on my part. I'm glad that God is gracious uh, he's patient, but I'm also glad that he is persistent and he's not going to let me waller in my self-pity. He's going to come after me because he loves me. And I know that things are true for each of us here. Be devoted to time with him in conversation. Be devoted to prayer. And that can happen and pray can happen individually. It can happen with two or three people that are gathered. It can happen in an assembly. Wouldn't you have another prayer time here on Sunday evening? April 8th, okay, the Sunday after Easter. It's an opportunity to gather together and all of you talk to God at the same time. It's pretty amazing that he can hear all our conversations at once. I just, uh, but he can't. And there's some principles here in praying that have been important to me. Scriptures tell us how to pray. And I would read some some promises and some instruction that's been helpful to me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Pray believing. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. I'm going to come to God in prayer. I must believe that there's somebody listening, that God's listening, that he's there. That's foundational. And I also have to believe that he knows what I'm saying and what I'm asking and that he's able to respond. And he will respond to me in a way that's good for me and honors him. I have to pray with confidence and I can pray with confidence. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, Uh, beginning in 12, it says uh, God knows everything about us. He knows the intents of our heart. And and uh, we have a a priest, a high priest, Jesus, who has gone before us. He was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Uh, He's experienced human life. He knows what we're dealing with. He has empathy with us in a human level. As creator, he made that choice to come and be a part of life with us. And as you know, to offer his life as a sacrifice for us. That we can pr- come into the presence of a holy God. Because all judgment that can come against this, he took on himself on the cross. And on the basis of all that I've just said, that's all there in Hebrews 12, 13, 14, 15. And in verse 16, it says this. Therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing you have to to do here. Come. The invitation is wide open to you. Come and receive His grace. And his mercy. I like Psalm 62 verse 8. When you pray, pour out your heart. Get in touch with your heart. That may help. Trust him. Trust God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Just know that He's listening and He cares. 1 Peter 5 says, Cast all of your care on Him because He is caring for you. Pour out your heart. And related to that is Philippians 4, verse 6-7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and intense prayer supplication okay with Thanksgiving believing he's going to hear an answer, I'm saying thanks ahead of time. so I make I, I pray about everything with Thanksgiving and I let his, my request be made known to God and the promise is the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension it doesn't make any sense. His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And how do I do that? I do that in prayer. I'm an anxious Frit. I don't know what a Frit is, but you get the idea. I have to be constantly reminded that uh, God's in charge. I, I feel deep responsibility for things that I've assumed, taken on, or I've initiated. Or responsibility to things that I've said to other people, promised to other people. I'm responsible. And I accumulate a mass amount of responsibility here. And then I get anxious when I can't perform on all of it. Somewhere in there, there's sanity. And it comes mainly when I take time to be with God. Personally. Just to pour out my heart to him. Let him help sort stuff out. Trust him to sort stuff out. And walk in that confidence. Those are all things that come when I'm devoted to having a conversation with him. 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I can't pray audibly. Uh, I can't pray in a conversation. I'm driving on the freeway, uh, about to get run over by somebody behind me and someone in front, uh, nearly parked and someone else cutting in across, you know. You're hearing my freeway illustrations. I spent a lot of time in my week on the freeway. So you get, you get, but so do you. So you know what that's all about. But I can think. And when i 'm alone, and sometimes when just Carla in the car and she drive her crazy at times, when I just pray out loud and um, but can I have in my mind an attitude of i 'm living my life i 'm breathing in this moment in the presence of God i don 't have to go to a special place to be in his presence, some special places feel more like I'm in his presence. But the fact is, I'm in as much in his presence any place and the time of my day, my life, as I am any time. I'm in his presence. He is always present. He will never leave us or forsake us, right? So what I've just described to you is how I embrace the thought of being devoted in prayer. And When I find my devotion in prayer consistent, my life is different. I'm almost pleasant to be with. And I thought it was interesting in, in Philippians 4, it said, uh, you know... Uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Thanksgiving plays a part in prayer. And here we have it again. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks. <clears throat> and there's something I think is important to us that uh, a thankful heart is evidence of a heart that's surrendered to God. Uh, it's an evidence of a heart that's dependent on God. And it's a heart that acknowledges him. How do I say? Why would I come up to you and say thank you? Because you've done something that was meaningful to me. In saying thank you, I've acknowledged your presence. And I've also acknowledged that I needed something that you did and I'm grateful for it. So when I say thank you to God, I'm acknowledging his presence. And I'm also acknowledging my dependence on him. And my gratitude that he's. Response. Gratitude is a mark of a believer who's walking in faith. Well, the verse we read was 4 uh, 2. Uh, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I want to look at a couple other words here yet. Uh, what does it mean to be devoted? A little bit more. I got some information here for you, some thoughts. And what does it mean to be alert? But, uh, so what does uh, devoted prayer look like to a group? <clears throat> In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, is a record of uh, what the disciples and those who were following Jesus did when he told them, wait, go, I'm going to leave you. And after his ascension to heaven, he said, go, gather, wait, and uh, the Spirit will come, and he will bring power to you to be my witnesses. And it says in chapter 1 of Acts, verse 14, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They did what he asked them to do, go wait, and they prayed. 120 gathered in the upper room. And we discover that after the Holy Spirit uh, came upon them, filled them um, the day of Pentecost they went out into the community and God gave them the ability to speak in the languages of all the people that were present, and the people that were present, wherever they came from around the, the Middle East had come to Jerusalem for this festival, uh, whatever language they spoke, they heard and because God gave them the ability. Uh, You know, there are times when I wish God, where I live, that God would give me the ability to, to speak Spanish. I'm not even. I'm I'm probably grade one in Spanglish. But uh, there are times when I I I would say, could you just gift me in that? And the answer I get, I don't particularly care for. Uh, Study Ed. I probably had to listen to that answer, huh? And uh, yesterday I, I took a group of people uh, into what I say Asia. I said I was in Asia yesterday. Uh, we spent the morning at the Buddhist temple up in uh, in Hacienda Heights. It's the largest Buddhist complex in the Western Hemisphere. It's huge. And um, we had a, a Buddhist man give us a guide tour through the place and kind of tell us about how Buddhism works for him and, and things. And uh, there were people there that I wish I could have spoken Chinese to. But I couldn't speak Chinese, but we had a great time listening to a Buddhist talk about how they practice life and um, and uh, just also expose some of the emptiness that is present there. Uh, but uh, we also had an opportunity to speak with someone who grew up in a Buddhist home and had come to faith in Christ and what, how they had to process that. And... Uh, but this Buddhist person wasn't from China, it's from Sri Lanka. And I can't speak that language either. Uh, there are times when I wish I was gifted. But uh, And then we went to Little Saigon in Westminster and spent time with the Vietnamese. And all I know how to do is say, sing ciao. Yeah, That's hello, by the way. Uh, the um, They spoke a language. And it came out of a time of devoting themselves to prayer. But after all of this, they continued to meet. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that continued to mark the church through the rest of the records that we have in the book of Acts. When the... uh, Apostles were challenged with a growing church and growing demands, uh, needs that need to be met. Uh, there was concern for the, uh, the, the Greek uh, widows that uh, were getting overlooked in the mealtime. And uh, they were they were overwhelmed with what was happening, and so they called on the, the, the people of the congregation. And he says, uh, 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 choose from among yourselves those who are full of the Spirit and there's there's maturity in their life to take that responsibility. And then they said, but we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word as we give guidance to the body. They had to maintain the priority that God had given to them. And we also find in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, uh, a list of characteristics of the uh, behaviors of believers. And it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, Give preference to one another in honor. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. It's one of the behaviors that marks the believers. The Greek word that's translated devoted can also be translated steadfast or to endure. And uh, Jesus uh, told a parable in Luke chapter 18, uh, what it looks like to be devoted. Um, in Luke 18:1, it says, now Jesus was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And this is his parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now... I'm going to stop at that point just just to say this. This is a parable that Jesus is telling to say that you ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. Now, I don't know that I can wear God out, but he's speaking to humans here. And I think we can understand an annoyance that we can be to each other. And he said, don't even consider what an annoyance is. You come to God. Because keep listening to what he says here. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay over them long, long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's the parable that he told to say, pray all the time. And don't lose heart. So just keep coming to him. Chances are the coming to you will bring about the change that needs to happen so he can answer. There are examples of Jesus in prayer also here in the book of uh, Luke. Luke is full of examples of prayer, by the way, if you just want to read through the gospel. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. He'd go away out by himself and pray. Good example for us. A lot of distractions in life. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, It was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Before he chose the 12, he spent the whole night in prayer. You got important decisions to make? Have you even considered talking to God about it? That's part of what marks us in being devoted when we come. There's another example we find that uh, it's a touch a bit on next Sunday, and that is uh, from Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. Um, Epaphras is listed in the eight that you were referencing, Jim. That uh, uh, Epaphras is the one we uh, we talked about the first Sunday here. I think he's the one who is uh, by all the indication of this of this letter, Epaphras is the one who took the gospel to the Colossians. He was the founder of, you know, the, the one who helped establish the church in the first place. And he says this in um, in 412, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, a servant of Christ, committed to him by life. And he sends you his greetings. So Epaphras is with Paul in Rome at the prison where Paul's at. And Epaphras is sending his greetings along with this letter. And he says about Epaphras, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. And I just wanted to pull that phrase out of that. He was laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He was working at it. His prayers were work for him in their behalf. The word that's translated, laboring earnestly, is uh, um, agonizomai. That doesn't mean anything to you, except the agono, It's the word agony in English for us. That he he was in agony over you. Oswald Chambers uh, has a quote that has hung with me much of my life. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Uh, praying doesn't prepare us. Prayer is the work. And somehow, if we could just understand that, as we sit here in, in Southern California, the people we know who have, who have left their home and they're somewhere on the globe, in a place, a, a strange culture, in a strange place, a strange language, learning to live in a whole new community and life, How important it is that your role in God's economy, your role in holding them up in prayer. That's the work. And Paul was saying this, as we'll see in a minute. A pastor friend up in. Northern California had a phrase I heard him use at a men's conference once. It was this. If I work, I work. If I pray, God works. I just think that's a good thought. Hang on to that one for you. What does it mean to be alert in prayer? It means to be awake. To be watchful. The best example I can find in scripture for this is the, the night, the last night that Jesus was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night he was arrested and the next day crucified. And it says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is Jesus saying this. And he says to the disciples, remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through tomorrow. I don't want to go through the crucifixion. I know what's coming. I'd like that to pass. I'd like it not to happen. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. That's not alert. okay? And he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for an hour? Keeping, keep watching and praying that you do not, not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He we called that right, huh? He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. He left them again and went away and prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Pretty intense moment for Jesus. And they couldn't stay awake. When I read this, And I read it in the context of uh, being devoted uh, to prayer and being alert in it. Uh, I live with a pretty high intensity of uh, God's work in this world is pretty, pretty central. (laughs) He's called me to faith in him and to trust him with my life and all that is. And he's given to me and to every one of us in this room the responsibility to represent him in a world that's lost. And my life looks a whole lot more like the disciples falling asleep than it does alert. And that's the challenge I just lay out to you. It's just How urgent is the call of Jesus on our lives to represent him? To bring his good news to a world that's lost. To make disciples of all the nations. Or am I living my life like the sleepy disciples? In a moment in which there was the the crucial moment, am I willing to go to the cross? Can you stay with me in this? Be devoted to God in prayer and alert in it. And in that context, Paul asks this question or poses a request of the the Colossians. He says in Colossians chapter four, verses three and four, praying at the same time for us as well. As you pray in the things in your own life, pray for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, the gospel for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. A lot of Paul's letters, most of them, have a personal request for prayer. I was going to give you all those, but I'm already out. So I just look at this, and I says, as you pray for me, what am I supposed to do? Pray that God will open to us a door for the Word. He's speaking us. Notice that? He said, all of us gathered here in Rome pray that God would open the door for us and I have an opportunity. I'm not here just knocking down doors. It's God who opens the doors and I want to be ready there with the word and with compassion myself to present Jesus to people. But God's the one who's going to have to open that door. Now, you've been going up to Boyle Heights. Some of you, you folks have been in, involved in that. and And you learned early on how disinterested people are in anything that you have to say, but the consistency of your life and showing up and caring and, and being gracious and kind involved in their lives has opened a door to their hearts and several have come to faith. It's a model of what, I, what I'm just saying. And, and Paul said, pray for us that God would open a door and then open a door that we may declare the good news. That we may declare the mystery of Christ. We know from chapter 1, that mystery of Christ was that God accepts the Jews and the Gentiles alike in the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news. God knows you, loves you, come. He's offered you grace and mercy. Acknowledge your need, and receive what he's done for you on the cross. It's yours. And he notices here, he says, uh, uh, good news, for which I am in prison. It's for my imprisonment. And I, I would just, I add this to the, the prayer request that has to come from Paul. And it's the fact he even mentions his imprisonment. Pray for him in that. He has to be reflecting back. You know, I know I'm here because God's called me here, but the path here didn't feel very good. I was falsely accused back in Jerusalem of taking a Gentile into the place of the, the temple where they don't belong. Now I'm on my way to Rome. Now I'm in Rome. I'm in prison. But I'm here. I understand no matter, I didn't plan it this way. This was the, Ill, the evil of men that I'm here in the first place. But I'm here and I'm a representative of Christ in it. Pray for me that I'll have an open door while I'm here. And pray that I may speak clearly the gospel. That it wouldn't be confusing to the Romans around me. And these are four requests that you can make for the missionary folk you know around the world. That God would open doors for them. Give them the the freedom to speak freely the gospel. Pray for their situation, the context that they're imprisoned in. I mean, we live in our own prisons, right? But like Paul, we live in the freedom of Christ. And pray that they might have clarity in how they... They speak of Christ. He goes on to say, then, what is I, I take as I read the text that uh, that we may speak clearly. What does speaking clearly mean? And then what he describes after is a description of what clear speaking is. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsider, outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. When God opens the door, relate with wisdom toward those who are unbelievers. Wisdom. How how do I stop and think about what's a wise way to approach this person? I Just slam them with the gospel, right? Do you know how strange the language of the gospel is to someone who doesn't know? It's like speaking another tongue. I've learned that you have to take some time to get to know the language of the person you want to communicate with. How did Jesus communicate the gospel to the Samaritan woman? How did he communicate it to Nicodemus? How did he communicate it to Zacchaeus? How did he communicate it to the centurion? They were all different. The gospel was still there, but his approach was to the person. So come with wisdom as you would share the gospel and present it to somebody. Live wisely. I have a, uh, just to say, what is seen in you either adds or detracts from your credibility of what you have to say. I remember as a high school kid hearing this statement your actions speak louder than words. Your life speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. My consistency will bring conviction. Now, it's the spirit who brings conviction, but you get the idea. How I live my life is either going to be credible or not credible in the words that I say. Make the most of the opportunity. Be aware of what opportunity may be in front of you. We're at a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant yesterday after being at the temple. Had some dim sum. It was great. Loved it there. They were really busy. They had a, a couple hundred people in this big restaurant. But the waiter that was there, I just, I just stopped and, and took a moment with him. I just, he was occupied doing what he was doing. And I said, you know, you cook, up, you cook up a pretty good meal here. And uh, and he's like, he didn't hear me. And I said, no, I'm not teasing. I really mean it. You know. And then he stopped and looked at me, and he said, well, I really didn't cook it. The, the cook in the back. <laughs> I said. I said, I know, but you came here and you worked and you've been watching after us here. And I said, I just want to thank you for that. That's pretty cool. And a conversation pursued. I mean, there was just a break in the press and him at the restaurant. And I made a heart connect with him in three minutes. And next time I take a group up there, we'll go back to that same restaurant and I will find him. Andrew. And I'll call him by name. And I don't know what God will do with that conversation. See what I'm saying? Take advantage of the opportunity you have. Um, uh, This thought about um, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Most of the commentaries I read about this, just kind of looking at it, uh, separate grace and salt. And I said, it says in in the phrase there, Let your speech always be with grace as though, as though isn't in the text, in the Greek text. It's implied. And and interpreter has to, your translator has to do what he does. And this, what this translator did, as though. And uh, I buy into the context of this whole passage, that idea. Let your speech be salted with grace. Let your speech be with grace as insulting. The grace. Speak graciously to the people around you. That's speaking clearly. Not harshly, but graciously. And I have uh, uh, three verses here that have been helpful to me, and I'm going to let you go home with these. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out after your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. I think it's wise conduct yourself in wisdom if you regard the people around you as more important than yourself and not people that are just there to serve you. A friend made the statement, uh, be friendly over function. I'm here at the restaurant to eat. Can I be friendly with the waiter, the waitress? Can I treat him as a, a civil person and not just an object delivering food? Can I be friendly over function? Can I regard them as more important than me? Be wise in relating to the unbeliever. Show that interest in somebody else and that interest will come back to you. They'll want to know about you. Be a humble learner. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame to him. I got no business telling somebody something if I don't have their attention. That's akin to passing your... Uh, uh, don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. <laughs> It's different, but but it's similar to the whole idea. I'm, I'm, I'm saying something that's eternal and highly valuable, and I'm not delivering it in a way that I have their attention or I have their language or I'm communicating. And the only way I can know where somebody's at is to have a conversation with them. Listen first. And when you do, there'll be an open door to hear what you have to say. That's my life experience. Speaking clearly. That's how it happens. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be ready with an answer concerning Christ. But I, that, that, the, the one phrase, always be prepared to give an answer. Answer. What does an answer imply? You've been asked a question. You have a conversation enough that they're asking about you. And the simple thing is it can work for you in life. And it comes out of a devotion of prayer and awareness of God's presence wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Then look for the opportunities and the wisdom come, show interest in the other person. And when I ask something about somebody or I I, I praise them for something that they've done or who they are, appreciate them, um, it often leads into a story about themselves. And when they're done telling their story, they want to know about mine. And I'm free then to speak freely of the things of Christ and faith without shoving it down their throat. Conduct yourselves with wisdom, make the most of the opportunity. Let your speech be in grace, seasoned with grace, and you'll respond. Well, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, the father. Be aware of his presence, live in it, speak to other people in it. He's with you. I took you the longest I've taken you now. Got one more Sunday. You got to endure this. I love you. I think about you all week. I think about the things that you've struggled with in life. Which you do, many of you that I've come to know individually, uh, you as a congregation, I just I care deeply about you. And I know God cares far more. Uh, Jesus has promised that He will build His church, and He's doing that here. You're in His care. His word is our guide, His word is His counsel to us, it's just His comfort. And uh, I appreciate your heart and devotion to Him in that. Lord, thank you for your presence with us today. Your faithfulness to us individually and to us together as your body. We love you. Thank you in Jesus. Amen.